0: You're listening to the Boss Business of Surgery series, episode 70. Today, I'm talking with Dr. Sarah Lee Davison and Dr. Beth Ivano. We talked about leadership following their 18-month Advisory Board Leadership Fellowship. I'm really excited to hear all of their leadership lessons. Enjoy the show. And if you want to know more about the Boss Business of Surgery series, go to bosssurgery.com. Welcome surgeons. Welcome back. I have not one, but two very special guests. I am so excited about this topic. Dr. Sarah Lee Davison and Dr. Beth Aveno are going to tell us about some of the just really spectacular lessons that they learned recently through this 18 month fellowship, a leadership fellowship uh, through the advisory board, which is essentially like a medical think tank. Um, that talks about a lot of things that are going on in medicine and they're going to share these really valuable lessons that they learned so I'm so excited for you both to be on the show and now this is not the first time for Dr. Sarah Lee Davison Um, she was on before too so of course I'm so happy to have you back but let's tell me again uh, tell us a little bit more about yourself Okay, thanks,
1: Dr. Bertrese. So um, my name is Dr. Sarah Lee Davison, and I'm a general surgeon in the Tucson, Arizona area. Um, regarding my leadership roles, I definitely have been on multiple leadership roles throughout the years at my hospital, but currently I'm the president of my multi-specialty physician-owned, physician-run group, um, and that is how I got involved in the advisory board fellowship on leadership. Dr. Beth Vano, tell us a little bit more about yourself.
2: Sure. Thank you again for having me. Um, I am a family physician. I have practiced in north central Washington for the past 20 years. Um, I live in a very small town called OMAC, which is about 45 miles south of the Canadian border. Um, I entered physician leadership about seven years ago, and I was initially the physician manager of three of our outlying clinics, and then about two years ago, I transitioned into the medical director of primary care for our organization. Um, we cover four counties, about twelve thousand square miles, um, and um, offer care to over two hundred thousand people. Um, so it's a big job. It's a big, um, a big area, um, but um, I feel privileged um, to have this role and I feel especially privileged that uh, my organization offered this fellowship to me when I transitioned
0: into my current role. I was going to ask you both um, how did you hear about this role and what was it that you were looking for um, for this fellowship to offer you?
2: I was familiar with the advisory board.
0: My organization
2: um, subscribes to the advisory board and advisory board professionals come to our organization and give small seminars, but I wasn't actually aware of the fellowship. When I transitioned into my current role as medical director of primary care, my CMO asked me if I would be interested. Several of upper members of leadership in our organization have gone through the fellowship in the past. And um, it's part of the program of bringing new leaders in um, so that we can all start speaking a common language and have a common purpose.
1: All right, Sarah, tell me a little bit more about why you chose it. Sure. Um, my company also have been long time involved with the advisory board. I first heard about it and started listening to their podcast too, actually, which is called Radio Advisory. And that podcast is phenomenal. So when they needed a vice president at the time, and they said they were going to send the president and the vice president to this advisory board fellowship, I was definitely interested because I just knew what good work that organization was already doing. Um, And since then I've I've moved up to the president role as well, but my CEO was the one who had the most knowledge about this and he was going to go no matter what. If anybody else wanted to go with him, he was going, but I was really excited
0: to hear about it. Yes. And I really love how you guys were talking about this before saying you had an idea of what it was going to be, but then it was something completely different. All right. So Sarah, tell me a little bit about that. So what did you think it was going to be and how did it end up being?
1: Yeah, I, I totally thought it was going, I knew it was called adaptive leadership. So I knew that it might have some tips and tricks that were a little different than other things I had read and heard before about leadership, you know, but I was expecting the typical stuff like stand straight and eye contact and how much to smile and how to shake a hand. I was kind of expecting all those basics that we've heard about that make good leaders. Right. And it was, it was like none of that. (laughs) um so one of the first steps is we we pick a project that we want to work on for our organization and if you're there with other people from your organization you get to pick a project together if you like and we were doing that but throughout the course it became very clear that all of the lessons we were learning the project was ourselves and the leadership techniques that they were teaching were more about learning about ourselves and being much more intentional about what we were doing. So I'll let Beth Beth add on to that and then we can get into some more of that, but it was completely different than I was expecting and amazing.
2: Yeah, I would agree. Um, You know, I also came into the course expecting it to be a more traditional leadership course. I had some knowledge of the adaptive leadership component Um, just because of the other leaders in our organization. But I really was unprepared for the intensity and the ability for them to really help us focus on the importance of purpose, intention, and how do we draw on our personal strengths to help us get where we need to go. It was a journey and it became clear the further and further we got along that um that the practicum project was like i am the project <laughs>
0: <laughs> now i'm fascinated you mentioned that they were helping you use your strengths and i know there's a lot of different ways to do this so how did they figure out what your strengths were or how did you essentially figure out what your strengths were
2: um, so they had us do the clifton strengths mm-hmm. uh, and and Strength finder yeah mm-hmm. um so so we did that. We we also did the leadership, leadership.
1: profile circle.
2: So we did, we did some of those. I think that the strengths, what was interesting is that we did some very in-depth work together as a group once our strengths were identified in determining how we see these strengths manifest in ourselves, in our current leadership, um, both in positive ways and in negative ways, um, and then identifying strengths that we have that we aren't utilizing enough. So for me that was really eye opening to discover that I have this whole other group of strengths that I didn't know of that I can start
0: developing. What were some of the ones that you felt that you overlooked that you were, you know, then starting to maximize?
2: Some of the big ones for me, self assurance was one that really surprised me. I was very surprised by that. Um but looking at it objectively, I think in stepping back, it's one that has always been there, but I haven't developed. So um, so that one was surprising to me. The other one that was surprising was futuristic. <laughs> what does that mean? Well, it's different than strategic. I think it is looking out onto the horizon and seeing what else is out there and thinking out beyond what we can see right now. Ah,
0: so you are like basically imagining the future so you can then create it. That's what I hope. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Okay. How about you, Sarah? What were some of the strengths that you found that surprised you? My number one strength definitely
1: floored me. It's called woo. And I was looking at it and I was reading the description and thank God for this amazing group of people that were supporting me through this. Cause I read it and I'm like, this makes me sound like a kiss ass.
0: Oh, I don't know if I can say that on your
1: podcast, but this makes me sound like a kiss butt. How's that?
0: <laughs> oh, please, kiss ass, fine. <laughs> okay,
1: and so I was like, I was like, I'm really not. And then I was looking at this description, and I'm imagining all the times I've been pulled over by cops, and I have never gotten out of a ticket to save my life. I never get upgrades. I never get you know put into first class just because I ask or anything like that. But this group of people, by the time we did these, we knew each other pretty well. And they were like, Sarah's woo is when she's really passionate about something that's going to help others, that's when her woo can get a lot of other people energized to that cause. And so that's where that really in-depth looking at those strengths helped to understand them better. Because if I just took that on my own and I was reading that, I'd be like, This doesn't describe me at all. You know, I don't know where this is coming from, Um, but having a group of people there that can get really in-depth with it is helpful. I also thought it was strange that my least big strength was competition because I kind of feel like as doctors, we have to have a certain level of competition to get through what we've gotten through. Medical school, residency, fellowship, there's an inherent competitiveness that's set up. In looking into that a little bit more too, I realized that it was never a strength of mine. I used what I needed from it when I needed it, but it's not something I enjoyed and I never did. And they're correct about that. I never enjoyed the competitive aspect of it.
0: It's fascinating too. Um, I find these, um, I know Sarah, we've talked about this before, of uh, all of these basically quizzes that we take about ourselves, and some are short and some are long, or some are more validated than others, but they're all essentially built on what we think about ourselves in that moment. Mm-hmm. And all mm-hmm. this simply does is reflect the thoughts that we have about ourselves to back to ourselves. Um, mm-hmm. And there's still some element of choice with that too. So, mm-hmm. but it's fascinating to see to see what we really think about ourselves in that moment and making it mean just that this is what we think of ourselves in that moment. And we can decide to lead more with it, or we can decide to, you know, use it however we want. Right. Uh, accept it, reject it, leave with it, whatever. It's all uh-huh. a little bit of a personal choice. Mm-hmm. Now, but I think that they had a a strategy for this too, this idea of reorienting to your purpose. Tell me a little bit more about that reorienting to your purpose, Sarah.
1: Um, Well, I think, you know, it started even from, the beginning of how they got these cohorts together because it wasn't all doctors. There were nurses, there were chief nursing officers, there were people from industry like Ethicon and uh, Gore and J&J. We had different people there. And they pointed out that for medicine, which is so complex and in so many ways so broken right now, we have all these different stakeholders and A lot of times it feels like our objectives are competing, right? When you're calling an insurance and they're not giving you prior auth for something you know is necessary for your patient, it's really hard to see any of our alignment, right? Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, to get over and really um, make healthcare better, we need to be able to get on board with some common purpose. And so it started out as a very practical a conversation about reorienting to purpose, and it was a little abstract. And then with time throughout the course, we got a lot better at seeing that purpose is every moment, every decision we make, right? So if I'm about to have a tough conversation with my kid, even, and I know that my purpose is to get a particular um, thing ironed out between us, us just fighting isn't usually going to achieve that, right? So reorienting to that purpose and being very focused and entering that interaction with that in mind is really important. So from the smallest interactions to being in a board meeting where you have to discuss something really difficult, if you can have those moments of clarity about what's our purpose here, right? And seeing that being very intentional about that is really important. Absolutely. How about you, Beth? What was your takeaway on that? They
2: really helped us step back. Um, And this was part of the um, going up on the balcony and that we have to always have our purpose. And I call it my North Star, especially when making big decisions. And so it's so easy to get caught up and get pulled down, like back onto the dance floor or into the weeds. And if you can focus on your purpose, then you will be always heading in that direction, basically. And so I think that it, what they're talking about and what really struck me is they talk a lot about the healthcare and where we are right now is we are in this VUCA world. So it's like volatile, um, uncertain, complex, ambiguous, and um, it's very difficult to see through the mud. Mm-hmm. Um, but if we know what our purpose is,
0: then we can find our way through. Yeah, I love this idea of like up on the balcony that you were talking about, because I mean, that's a great visual of if yeah. we're on the balcony and we're looking all around that we're unaffected by everything that's going on. And we actually have a, a better perspective on creating the possibility for change because we see what's actually going on.
1: They also so- described it once as urgent and important because so many of our jobs are, we have a lot of urgent issues, right? Like there's patient issues, there's staffing issues, whatever it can be. And sometimes those things that are, feel so urgent can just pull us in a million directions and getting up on the balcony. It helps us to say, okay, I know I've got these urgent things, but I've also got these important things and not losing sight of what's important just
0: because of all the urgent things that are coming up. I completely agree. Now, take us through this idea of I know that we're all feeling this. But what was the 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 things that you learned about the fact that the pace of medicine and and what's going on? um, I know that you guys got a little bit more of a global view of all this going on in healthcare, you know, really realigning everything under the same purpose. But take us through a little bit about your thoughts of the the pace of healthcare these days. Really, what
2: we are looking at is that the pace of change has accelerated. Um, and the way that medicine where we are moving, um, it's going very fast and we are moving into a different paradigm of how we're going to deliver care. It's being exaggerated, I think, by changes in industry. So there's an explosion, you know, in tech and and um, all of these other modalities that we haven't integrated fully into medicine that will come very rapidly. I think that they're also, you know, the healthcare industry in the U.S. in particular, the economic forces that are sort of bearing down on us, we will have to change. I mean, we will have to move into more of a value-based system if we're going to survive. Um, and that is going to happen in the next 10 years. Um I was gonna ask, what what do you see as the change? What should we be thinking about, I guess? Well, what I'm thinking about is um, the way we are delivering care right now is not working very well for our patients. Um, they have to navigate a very
1: complex system that doesn't work very well for them um, and is very... So there's all those different things that are going on and it's it can be really overwhelming to us physicians and and providers and the healthcare system at large, uh, but it's
0: also really important. You know, something that you said really sp- sparked something in me is this idea that we've always done it this way. Medical ed- education has always been this way. Practice has always been this way. And I think that the pace of change of Everything in the world is changing so much, especially because of the burnout and 10% of the workforce, you know, leaving when a hundred thousand physicians exit the system and, you know, it takes so much longer for us to, to turn out uh, a physician and it's more expensive and, you know, we're the only profession that accepts an annual decline in income. Yes. So the, there's certainly something needs to change. Mm -hmm. So now tell me a little bit about this. Uh, the well, I think, Sarah, is that you were mentioning this about the resilience um, and this uh, biomimicry. So tell me a little bit about that. That's fascinating. One of the intensives,
1: we just needed to get a little bit away from classroom type stuff and hotel ballrooms where we were meeting and things like that. So we took a hike out in the desert and Red Rocks around Las Vegas where that intensive was. And we were noticing just noticing, you know, so sometimes that's the first step in trying to get aligned to purpose is noticing what's going on around you. And so we were all on this purpose on this hike of trying to notice what's going on in the world around us. And we were seeing these little trees growing out of rock and the um, idea of resilience and biomimicry, trying to realize that we all have this capability to do more than what we think we're capable of. And some of that revolves around the changes we're gonna see, right? Some of that means doing some of the hard stuff that may feel a little overwhelming or out of our comfort zone. And um, we really all took home that lesson about needing to bolster that resilience and using nature as kind of a little way of us having that lesson.
0: That's great.
1: Um, What was your take on uh, resilience Beth? I think that what we were doing is we
2: went on this hike and um, it was very reflective. So we were all um, deep within ourselves, um, but then had this moment when we were really looking outwards. um, Mm -hmm. And a theme that came up over and over again during, um, during the intensive was to step back and listen or take notice. Mm-hmm. Um, and instead of only looking at your experience, um look at things objectively. Um, and we all had sort of a similar experience of seeing and noticing similar things and realizing that tenacity and growth. And, you know, resilience are not just part of the human experience, but also part of a greater experience.
0: So Sarah and I talked about this idea of whole brain living, it talks about the different characters in our brain. And there's a part of our brain that really does want us to attach to the universe at large. That's Jill Bolte-Taylor's whole brain living. There's a lot of times that we don't tap into that part of the natural, like part of our brain to be able to see and, and, you know, our self as part of the whole so it's a really fascinating thing that they took you guys there, Beth, Leading a little bit more what you said before we started recording, um, you talked about how how hard it was to lead people to think differently. So tell me a little bit about this, and I think you had mentioned something about accounting for the loss. So tell me a little bit more about that um, that thought process.
2: So I attended the um, fellowship with my dyad partner. So in my organization. Um, At every level level of leadership, there's a physician leader, and that leader is paired with um, an operational or administrative leader. Um, And I was lucky enough to attend the fellowship with my dyad partner. Um, And what we were really looking to do and was part of our practicum project was build um, what we call a holding environment or um, a deeply trusting environment in our group. Of leaders that we can basically start to overcome some of these
0: beliefs and feelings of resistance that hold us back. But isn't that what the whole purpose of life is too, right? The connections connections and, you know, leading people to think differently. I think it's just such a great lesson is, I mean, that's what we're here for. We're here to Mm -hmm. learn from people and be part of the whole and understand the purpose of all this, um, Mm -hmm. which is different than what we were taught, which was Individual metrics and achievement and things like that, and I think this is the difference: is that we're led to think of ourselves. They put us out in the world where we're supposed to figure it out together. I wanted to give you just a quick
1: like example of the first session. So the first session, I've got my phone next to me, and I'm in this intensive. But my the office is texting me, hey, you know this, that, and the other. Or they're <clears throat> secure texting me some stuff about patients and I'm answering it. And they invited us during that first intensive to start looking at instead of just solving all the problems, because that was the way I was leading in my office. I was the, I was the solver. So if there was an issue, you know, if you got a problem, call me and I'll get it fixed. I'll tell you what to do. And my first takeaway from that first intensive was I need to be a better coach to my staff. Like a mm-hmm a lot of this stuff that can be handled and have to reach out to me for it, but I have never given them the coaching and the ability and the, um, confidence to take on some of these things that are things that they can answer. Right. And so I worked on that between the next intensive and I got zero phone calls the next, the next intensive. So that was just, you know, kind of a real world example of even that first session. Um, But you had asked me about my take on the technical problems versus the, or technical solutions versus adaptive solutions. Mm -hmm. That was an overall theme throughout our our intensive, Um, I mean, throughout our our entire fellowship, because it is one thing to take a problem that we all face in medicine, Um, say somebody's not getting their notes dictated in a timely manner, right? And so we've all had to be on committees where we've had to deal with this, I bet. And we come up with different technical solutions, right? So, okay, they're not going to be able to go into the OR unless their op reports are all done. You know, within a certain amount of time, they're going to lose their block time or whatever. Why have those never fully worked? Why are there still people that are struggling with that, right? And it's because we have never looked at what is the adaptive challenge that's going on for that individual or for some individuals, maybe a group of individuals. And so coming up with finding out what is the loss, thinking bigger about why this is a hard problem to solve when it may seem easy, but it's not always easy. And what change is involved in that? What are we asking of somebody that we're not seeing that's a loss to them or a fear for them? And so adaptive um, solutions are more thinking outside
0: of that, just I'm going to make a new rule and everybody needs to follow it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And this is why, you know, this is the the coaching that I do is mindset based and thoughts and emotions and things like that, because advice based stuff, or we just tell people what to do does not work. Because until we understand all the things leading up to all the thoughts that everyone has, if you tell someone to do something, you might get lucky because they agree with it too. (laughs) But (laughs) maybe leadership is more than just luck. (laughs) So um, I wanted to talk a little bit about this idea of, you know, privilege. So Sarah, I think that you would actually had brought this up. Uh, Tell me a little bit more about what you learned about that. One of the
1: intensives um, delved very much into our personal deeply held beliefs. And it started out, um, I think it was not difficult, the first part of it. Like, what do you believe about yourself? How did you grow up? Um, What do you, you know, are you a mother? Do you identify as a a caretaker, physician or whatever it may be? Um, And then it kind of explored how we feel so strongly about those things. Um, And then it did start to get into health equity and um, social justice and some different topics that are a little bit more polarizing in our society, um and can be really polarizing in certain groups and um we had enough of a holding environment at that time that we could have some very honest conversations about our beliefs and through that process um we talked a lot about advocacy um getting more involved in legislation that legislation that can affect we all help our patients every day we're kind of amazing human beings as physicians and providers we have The kind of job that every single day is a beautiful chance to help people. Helping people in a larger group is something we maybe don't do all the time. You know, we kind of do one-on-one a little bit more, but getting involved in legislation is a way to help bigger groups of people in your community or in communities around you. Um, And so we explored a lot of that. And out of that, I think I really did Realize that I want to use whatever voice I have, whatever platform, whatever privilege I have to amplify um, the experience and the voices of other people that maybe don't have that. And I thought that was a really beautiful part of
0: of what I got out of this fellowship. And I I think with some experience in medicine, um, the one thing, and I've talked to, to my students about this too, is like, as physicians, we see a cross section of all of society, because everybody gets sick. Everybody mm-hmm. gets, you know injured. Like everybody in society gets injured. So we have exposure to every single aspect of society in our hospitals. And I mean, I think that if you're paying attention, we see the inequities. You know, we see the inequities, but we feel powerless to do something about it. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, I think this idea of understanding our privilege um, is just first simply noticing that it's there. And then how we've talked about this before of like, how do we honor our privileges that we, mm. those who don't have it, tell me a little bit about advocacy um, and what you learned. And, you know, it sounds like, you know, once you realize the privilege that we have and other people do not have it, you know, it certainly leads to this idea of av- advocacy and and tell us a little bit more about that. We have an important role in being a voice
2: for other people. And I think as physicians, you know, we have always felt that, especially in terms of our own patients, but really stepping back and not taking it for granted. I think for me was um, was really important that this has to be intentional. There has to be focus um, on it. Otherwise, it's not
0: going to change. Sarah, tell me a little bit about what you t- your takeaway was for advocacy.
1: Um, I enjoyed our advocacy experience. One of the days Unfortunately, due to COVID, it was not in person, live at the Capitol, but we had Zoom meetings with some of the staffers for our different senators and representatives um, in Washington, D.C., because my my group of people were all from Arizona, so we got to meet with some of our Arizona uh, representatives, and we picked a topic that was just kind of broad regarding medicine, and we were just talking to them, and honestly, they're just people, (laughs) and it was... Really scary at first. I was really nervous and a little bit intimidated. And one of the um, Gore representatives, they were helping to prep us because they have, you know, they definitely have um, advocacy groups involved uh, on the legislator all legislative hill all the time. But he said a lot of them have knowledge that's a mile wide but an inch deep. And so, going into those meetings, going into those interactions with any of your representatives or senators at your state level or your federal level, just knowing that you actually can help them because provide more in-depth information on something that they may not have all the nuances, all the depth that is necessary for them to help make really good decisions. Um, So through that, I have signed up a couple times to be the doctor of the day at the Arizona state legislator, like <laughs> at the Arizona state legislation. And that's been really fun to get to know them that way. Um, and we have this cool thing in Arizona called request to speak where we can just go online and give our say on any bill. So I have some alerts set up through the different, you know, Arizona, or Arizona um, Medical Association and ACS and things where they'll say, hey, here's this medical bill that's up for debate coming up in your area. You know, why don't you give them an opinion? And so you can get involved in all sorts of different ways, but it was definitely less intimidating than I thought it was going to be.
0: Yeah, I mean, you have three really great points. One, they're human too. Uh-huh. <laughs> and the second one I thought was really fascinating that they have knowledge a mile wide, but an inch deep is so helpful to understand because then you naturally see where our role could be in helping of being the experts. Um, And they are making a lot of decisions and we can help them. And, you know, uh, this idea of, you know, uh, the doctor of the day. So tell me a little bit more about that. How did you, was it through this program that you heard about it and how does that work?
1: That one was through the Arizona Medical Association. So I definitely, if you haven't already looked at what are the advocacy committees in your um, state branches of your your state medical association, or for those of us that are surgeons, the state branch of the American College of Surgeons, those are both really good resources and they'll always have ways you can get involved. And that was just something I clicked on, doctor of the day and you sign up and you get to go there and you actually are the on-call doctor for the senators and the (laughs) representatives that day. And I was like, oh man, I hope that none of them have a potassium issue. I won't know what to do <laughs> to call somebody myself. Just kidding. I kind of wouldn't know what to do with that. But um, yeah, th- it was fun. And then you just, they introduced us to so many of the different people there and they're just so normal
0: and human and wonderful. And we had great conversations. That's great. No, they were basically, you were there just to answer any questions about the medical field? Mostly I was just there
1: to be a representative um, and to if anybody fell or if anybody got hurt, they really would call me, but I do (laughs) not call. They said that's very rare, but they do introduce me on the Senate floor and the state Senate floor, and also on the state uh, representative floor. And they do a little introduction and then they just, you know, I just got to know some of them. So I do send them emails every once in a while when I have an opinion on something.
0: That's great. And, you know, and I think that we talked a little bit before we started recording about how advocacy feels hard, but that does not feel hard (laughs) No, it's so much.
1: It's so less hard. And now, if I was like a, you know, on the actual committee with one of those organizations, I'm sure it would be a little bit more of a time commitment. But for what I've done so far, it has not been time intensive. But it's been really rewarding.
0: That sounds great. Now, the last thing that we I think we want to talk about was this idea of um, challenging myths and you know challenging deeply held beliefs. So tell us a little bit about, uh, Beth. Tell us a little bit about what you learned about that. Well, I thought it was really
2: interesting. Um, so at first, I, um, you know, was a little bit puzzled about what they were talking about. Um, but really, they framed it as, um, what are the beliefs that either you hold yourself or that your organization has to take for granted. Um, that have just become a part of your everyday belief system or existence.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And are they true? you know and so it's um, it's stepping back. It's part of that maybe going up on the balcony experience again um, and really challenging are those true and are they serving us? Um, and so one that has really come to mind for me as a physician but also for our organization is, um, I hear from myself and from my providers all the time, my patients only want to see me and I give my patients the best care because I know them. Um, and I think there is absolute sanctity in the doctor patient relationship. Um, but that is a myth that er, it, it's a, it's a belief that we need to question, um, you know, and are there other models of care where we could perhaps be giving better care if we didn't hold on to that belief?
0: Right. And I deal with this, especially as a coach on an individual level, about how thoughts that we offer ourselves, that our pay, our parents do, society, all these thoughts that are offered to us every day, we wrap up into a belief about ourselves. And if that's true of ourselves, of course, it would be true of organizations as well. Is that all of these beliefs that we have are built on these building blocks of thoughts, that are either true, not true, serving us, not serving us. You know, all these things that we can then unravel and decide what we want to. You know, basically break it down and rebuild it to the way that we want, based on things that we intentionally choose.
2: Correct. I mean, I think it's it's the um, the idea of. We need to be constantly asking ourselves questions and be curious, is this the right way? Is this the way that we should be doing something? You know, is there a better way? Can we think of a different way Um, instead of just being trapped um, by these belief systems that have been built for us or that we've built ourselves?
0: The self-limiting statement of it's the way it's always been.
1: (laughs) How about you, sir? My organization, we spent a lot of time really talking about what are the things that make our organization special, and then some things that we knew we probably could do better. We could probably be served better for our ultimate purpose if we change something. And um, we're still so in the midst of it that I don't have a good example of how myth-busting um, has, has really helped with that yet but it is, it's super challenging. It's super challenging because we recognize some things that weren't perfect, but when somebody else told us, Oh, a lot of people didn't like to hear that. <laughs> yes. We had recognized it in ourselves. And then when somebody else, some other organization gave us some feedback on that, we were like, whoo, that's, that hurts. That stings to hear it from someone else. Yeah. So it is a constant. Um, personal life and business life, working on those, those deeply held beliefs and whether they're
0: serving us or not. Yes. And I was just actually talking to someone earlier today about the idea of physicians being replaceable and, Mm -hmm. you know, boy, that feels really painful to think about, but if at the same time, you know, even wrapping your head around this idea too, is that yes, we're, we're replaceable. We can work to to be irreplaceable where we're at, or we can decide that that actually gives us a lot of freedom to do anything that we want, Mm. that we're not stuck, just like Beth was saying, it's like, I can't leave anywhere. I have to be here. Only I can do this. Um, But there's actually some freedom into some of these thoughts of looking at it in a different way, is that if we're replaceable, that means that we actually have the ability to grow and achieve and leave room for someone else too. So, So interesting how we'll take something at face value and how we don't have to necessarily we can actually think a little bit more in depth of it and, and find ways that it makes it work for us. Yeah.
2: I agree. I think that um that's where we really are on the edge and the verge of something different. I think that there will be things that somebody other than a physician does that we are doing right now and those may be hard to let go of. You know, that may be part of that What is hard about this? You know, what is the loss here? Um, But it actually opens up more for us to do. And we should be doing the things that physicians should be doing instead of having so much on our plates. And so we should be happy to give some stuff
0: over to AI. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Oh gosh, yes. AI, nurse practitioners, PAs, and basically like everyone is encroaching a little bit into the medical field. Um, And then if we ignore the process, and this goes back to Adam Grant's, You know, think again, if we ignore the fact that the pace of change in healthcare is, is phenomenally accelerated, if we ignore this, we are going to be passed over. If we acknowledge it and become a part of it and lead it, then we can actually be the leaders of change rather than to be the victims of it. <laughs> Now I know that it's going to be virtually impossible for me to say, please summarize all of your 18 months of this excellent leadership course that you have. But I think that we've done a really great job of talking about a lot of topics, but I'll give each of you an opportunity. Is there, you know, one last thing that you want to share um, with our listeners about something that you took away? Okay, I'll go first. I'm gonna I'm gonna try to make a sentence out of <laughs> some of my key points. <laughs> I recognize that this is a remarkably unfair. Right.
1: No, I love it. It's a good challenge. Adaptive leadership is a relentless pursuit of combining what's urgent and what's important with an overlying arch of what is our main purpose. That's pretty good. Okay.
2: (laughs) I would say that adaptive leadership and what I learned in this course, um, it is about challenging yourself and your beliefs challenging your peers and their beliefs um, to become better um, and to really think about what is hard but what is necessary um and where do we want to go um I think the other, um, one of the main things that I got away from the um, the fellowship was mm-hmm. the importance of having your holding environment and your community. We were um, very, very lucky in our cohort that we had, um, our cohort was developed basically during COVID and it was small, um, so it was intimate. Mm-hmm. And so we built... Um, a foundation of trust very quickly. Um, and I don't think that all cohorts do that. Um, they do get there, but we got there very quickly. And the importance of having that space and the community um, to help you grow is crucial.
0: Phenomenal. Well, I think that you guys are, you both have phenomenal lessons. I really appreciate you sharing all these, you know, this intense wisdom of, you know, such a great program. So thank you so much for the opportunity of, you know, sharing all this with other folks. So Dr. Davison and Dr. Avena, I really appreciate you all coming on. Thank you so much for having us. It was fun. Yes, thank you. For more information on the boss business of surgery series, go to boss surgery.com.